You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom. Oh, wow. wow. That was, uh, <laughs> oh, we're leaving it. Yeah, we of course are we are. Yeah. I'm Tom Knezic, <laughs> and today we're buzzing into episode 161. Uh, we are. Stumbling. We are. <laughs> no, stumbling. I shouldn't say we're buzzing. We're stumbling in episode 161. Staggering oh, into gosh. 161. At least I didn't say my name was Fran <laughs> like I did that one time. That was uh, that was definitely worse. than. <laughs> you know, out of 161 episodes, it's we're bound to make those kind of mistakes. I, oh, I love yeah. knowing that there's no, like, wacky mistakes on the cutting room floor. Like, everything that we've messed up, everyone has heard. There's no like blooper reel of unheard stuff yeah no you're right yeah, i don't think there's anything is. yeah we didn't really cut anything out yeah that's impressive so um but yeah no we got a really full episode today and uh and we say this a lot it's it's may we're super busy we're trying to keep this concise and compact and like in a it, tight little it, box it's it's probably not going to be it's that way so busy you don't even realize it's june <laughs> Did, oh, did I say it was May? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. So, <laughs> all right. Then we're, yeah, we're already getting off to a good start. How, but how, how about I start off with an apology? Oh, yeah. You well, okay to me that? or to? No, to our listeners. Okay. To our listeners. So, uh, through the pod, through the podcast host, uh, we do advertising. So, it's advertisers sign up, and it used to be. The advertisers would sign up, and you would have to approve or reject them. Yeah, Fran would basically get a, a notification, yeah, and it would say, "Hey, is this okay, or do you not want it? want it?" So they stopped that, and now everyone is automatically approved, and you don't get any notifications, and you just have to check every day and then reject the ones you don't want. So. I hadn't done it for a couple of days, and they're coming in very quickly. We're getting popular enough that. There may be 50 new advertisers in a day, and I went through and almost freaked out at some of the advertising that had been in because it was for chemically treated lawns, uh, turf grass, um, turf grass treatments, and uh, gas-powered leaf blowers. So, if any of you heard that, we're not selling out. I just missed it. They're all rejected. Yeah, yeah. It is actually kind of interesting. That would be. Um we're taking money from the people from that were those knocking. folks, and uh, yeah, they're they're paying for our success. Um, the one thing that's interesting is once you reject someone, you can't unreject them. Yeah. They were they're rejected forever. Yeah, interesting. Which is very interesting. interesting. And it's interesting how the whole ad thing plays out because it's all like regional. So yeah. someone and, and I think it all I think a lot of it goes into like the the deep deep confines of your um your phone and algorithm yeah. and all that so like me being a 34 year old uh man that lives in new jersey is going to get a completely different ad than someone who is even in the same area 
but different age demographic, different, um, just different demographics. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in a different part of the country, you'll get, we had like local or local car dealerships, but it was like from Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah. And, and, and like, why are they advertising? Oh, it's because it's someone from Wisconsin. That's what they'll, they'll hear. There's very specific like stadiums in Colorado mm-hmm. or, uh, uh, cellular services in mm-hmm. Canada. When I listen, sometimes I listen, like I listen just to see what pops up. And sometimes there's no advertisers. The last episode it was University of Maine for uh, mm-hmm. online climatolo- climate change degree, um, and the other one was for uh, a church. Yeah. So that didn't really – I don't understand that. So, they, yes. they didn't really hit that demographic. So there's a, a good chance that you didn't hear any of the <laughs> lawn care ones, but, uh, but if you did – Know there that. were a lot. Like yeah. I saw one and rejected it, and when I looked in the rejected file, there were like – and they were like a minute and a half long. Yeah. Like they were yeah. like big ads. So someone may have heard it. We, I just want to say we apologize. They've yeah. all been rejected. But yeah. it would be interesting that if we did make money from them. Like there was also one big box chain store that I've outwardly m- mocked that advertised – that I reject it, that I'm like, I think it's interesting you're paying me to mock you. Yeah. But I guess true. any they advertisement is good. Yeah, they, they no, they have no idea. They don't know. What, what's I'm sure happening. they're not even picking. I think through the podcast system, they're just getting matched up yep. with podcasts that may be good for you. Yeah. So so anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's fixed for now. I didn't check today. Who knows what's in yeah. there today? But we do have a little reward for the people. Yes. And uh, I'm excited about and this. And we've, we've, been very pessimistic about our native plant anthem contest, that song contest that we had going. Mm-hmm. And last buzz, we put out a last call of sorts and said, hey, if for whatever reason you're thinking about this and you haven't done it yet, this is going to be the, your last chance. Yes. And uh, we were amazed when we came in one morning and had a submission. Uh, and yeah. then we got another one in the same <laughs> day, two in the same day. So we have two. Yeah. So it, it makes it a real life, yeah. real live contest at this point. Yeah. So Tom and I agreed that the way it will work is we're going to play both of these now. And then for the voting, we're going to put it up on the Facebook group. And as a whole, the audience audience gets one vote or our listeners get one vote. Tom gets a vote and I get a vote. So there will be three total votes. So there cannot be a tie. Um, and it works out perfectly. So uh, by the time you hear this, we're going to put up the poll for the vote with the the two artists. And then at the next buzz, we'll we'll pick a winner. Does that, that sound good? We'll, we'll, we'll have a definite time frame like oh, yeah. vote by this day. Yes. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> I guess so. I guess we'll have to figure out what day we're going to record. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we Which we never will. do that. We figured that out like the day before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it made me feel good when we we uh talked to uh Casey and Alex from Completely Arbitrary, which it's everyone will hear next, next week, week. Yeah. That they you know, sometimes they sit down and go, I'm not in the mood to record. <laughs> it, it just made me feel yeah. good. I'm like, ah, oh, that's all right, good. I didn't know if they were on a set schedule and had like I I it felt good that it we were on the same wavelength. Yes. But. Yeah, definitely did. All right. So you wanna you wanna play one? Yeah. All right. So the first one, I'll go in the order that they were submitted. The first one that we're gonna play is by Swamp Pink and the Bladderworts, and this is the native plant anthem.
feel like I should be doing like a DJ outro on that. And that was Swamp Pink and the Bladderworts <laughs> bringing you Native Plant Anthem. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> so much better than I expected <laughs> any of these to be. I, I know, yeah. me too. It's And and I just want to uh, first, sorry, since it's the day of apologies, I'm sorry if I blasted anyone's ears out with that. I probably yeah. should have checked the levels before we started should've. recording. Yeah, that was a, I blasted my ears it's, out on Unfortunately, that. you... <laughs> I can't go back. Destroyed everyone's eardrums, <laughs> they and uh, they never they didn't hear anything. There's the tinnitus is slowly starting to subside right about now. <laughs> all right, We're, let's let's play them back to back, and then we'll go into what the winner gets. So our next entry is by Big Blue Stem, featuring Baptisia Deline, and this is the Native Plant Anthem. Yo, this goes out to all the native plants out there. Nothing introduced in fields and in meadows, on hills and in dales. Grows a bounty of beauty that never fails. Oh, native plants, you're so diverse and so rare. You're the treasures of a land, you're beyond compare. Oh, native plants, how you grace the land in your diversity. That's how we take a stand to protect and to preserve for generations to come. Your beauty and importance, they're second to none. From towering trees to ground level shrubs, yo, each plant has its place and each plant has its love. And the monarchs, they flutter by on milkweed so tall, while bees buzz about sipping nectar from all what? Oh, native plants, how you grace the land in your diversity. That's how we take a stand to protect and to preserve for generations to come. Oh, your beauty and importance, they're second to none. We got goldenrod asters and coldflowers galore. They're wildflowers so stunning we can't help but adore. Yo, their colors, their fragrance, they're a feast for the eyes. And their value to wildlife, no need to disguise. Oh, native plants, how you grace the land in your diversity. That's, that's how we take a stand to protect and to preserve for generations to come. Your beauty and importance. They're second to none. As we walk through the woods and along the streams, yo, we're grateful for the native plants that are a dream. They provide us with food, shelter, and more, and their benefits to our planet we can't ignore. Native plants, how you grace the land in your diversity. That's, that's how we take a stand. To protect and to preserve for generations to come. 
your beauty and importance uh, second to none. So let's celebrate native plants far and wide, their importance to our world, yo, we can't deny. Let's work together to protect and preserve the gifts of nature we so dearly deserve. Yo, native plants, peace out. Keep growing. That's how we going. Out. Peace out, native plants. Thank you, Big Blue Stem featuring Baptizia Deline with the native plant anthem. <laughs> Peace out. So I feel That's comfortable. That's like the, the collaboration uh, we didn't know we needed. No. For sure. And now it's, I can't live without. Yeah. I can't live without it now. So I feel comfortable saying that the winner will be our new fade out music. Yes. Or our oh, yeah. cl- new closing music will replace mm-hmm. whatever we typically have there. So I think you feel comfortable saying that? Oh, for sure. And the winner will also yeah. get $100 worth of swag from the Native Plants Healthy Planet uh, store. Mm-hmm. So you can get an apron and a phone cover or or a water bottle, shirts, cool shirts. I'm interested to see what the winner picks. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I just had an idea for a shirt that I want to talk to you, but I wanted, I don't want to say it. Okay. Because I have a feeling it's a copyright infringement. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. So, cool. yeah, I, I figure I'll tell you that after the fact. But, All right. Um, no problem. Yeah, but I, I think- I've been having some new ideas. It's just finding the time to put up the new ideas. Of course. I'm excited. I'm excited. We got two entries, and I'm, I'm really happy with both. Um, and we're going to have the vote up. And remember, you get a vo- vote. Tom, you get a vote. I get a vote. Everybody gets a vote. And mm-hmm. we'll pick a winner. And uh, I'm really excited. Thank you for. Yeah. Thank you for the entries. We really appreciate it. Anyone else, you're out of luck. Too late. If, but you can still submit it. If we'll play it. If, if yeah. you submit it, we'll you, still play we'll it. We'll still play it. You, you just, just you wouldn't win the the grand prize. Yeah. But I I wish people sent that those kind of things to us all the time. Because <laughs> it's just it's so fun to listen to. It yeah. really like I. We kid you not, the amount of excitement that Tom and I had that we got one submission and then a second one later in the day. Tom and I were out visiting Mount Cuba and got the second submission when we got back, and we were so excited sitting in the office playing it through the loudspeakers. So mm-hmm. it was uh, pretty exciting. So that's all good stuff. I think that's all of our follow-up. you have anything else? Uh, no, I think that's it as well. All right. We should probably move along, though, and get into the plants that we're vibing with this week with That's Hot. Probably should have checked that volume too. It's you think that, that one was was loud? Maybe a little louder than loud. normal. It's been a while since we've done it, and I had the yeah all the yeah, yeah, yeah. the levels a little bit. You want to go first, or you want me? To go uh, first? yeah, yeah, I can go all first. Right, go so uh, mine, I I got the information from wildflower.org. Uh, it's a plant I've heard a lot about and had not seen um, in person up until yesterday. Really? Maybe it's Sunday. I don't know. It was within the last couple of days. Um, do, do we have this in our in our seed fields? We do not. Okay. Um, but the goal is to have it there soon. Okay. Now that we, we found some. And um, the tough part is I don't actually know which, what plant this actually is. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I put this up there, but it could be something different. Okay. Um, so I did uh, just Cisincrium, um as a whole. Uh, I have angustifolium in our notes here, but then I think I took the description from Montane. Is it Montanum? Um, I don't both know. Both common in, in New Jersey. 
but often overlooked because they were so low to the ground and the flowers are so tiny. But the common name for, for these plants are your blue-eyed grasses. Yeah. So you had like Atlantic blue-eyed grass or Eastern blue-eyed grass and common blue-eyed grass. There's a, a bunch of them. And um, uh, the little description is that it's a grass-like plant forming small clumps. Leaves are mostly basal, linear, and bright green. Uh, then you have six-petaled violet blue star-like flowers are solitary on small clusters on the tip of long flowering stalks. The plants, like I said, remain relatively short. Uh, I think the tallest ones I found were about 20 inches tall. Uh, they're actually in the iris family. It's oh, even though it's blue-eyed grass, it's not a real grass. It just kind of looks like a grass. Um, and then uh, those uh, grow from rhizomes, bulbs, or corms. And uh, there's what I don't know if this is saying sixty genera and fifteen hundred species of iris. I'm assuming <laughs> not of. Of uh of blue eyed grass, but yeah, it's something I'd heard about, and like I when it's one of the things when I bash on no mow may, yeah. which I did a lot less of this year than past years. But when I bash on no mow may, this is one of the things that a lot of people say they do see come up, and I think it's more I'm just jealous that I haven't seen it come up where I haven't mowed. And what's funny is I'm seeing it for the first time in a place where we did mow. <laughs> <laughs> like we we mowed this area, and this is just what what now we could see yeah. because of that. I think so. Kyle I. Barker did a TikTok yeah. on this one, yeah. or a, I saw it on Instagram. Oh yeah, he's I think. one of that's that's who I'm actually referencing was okay. with Kyle because okay. he's he's saying, oh yeah, I don't mow this area, and what he actually did was didn't mow, um, use a gla- grass selective herbicide to eliminate the grasses, and then he just had a whole bunch of blue eyed grass. That came through, and I think it's so much he was collecting seed and spreading it throughout his uh, his lawn. But um, really cool plant. It's a uh, like again often overlooked because it is low to the ground yeah. and um, and is not very showy. And the flowers really I don't think bloom for for that all that long of a time. But again, I'm not that familiar with it, so I'll uh, I'll put a picture of what I took, the one I saw up in our our Facebook group. Um, so someone who is more familiar. Than me at identifying these can can tell me oh it's this one all right so, yeah I'm looking forward to it yeah. I'm looking forward to it not one that I've seen personally in nature although I will say this this past weekend I saw my first I don't even know if I told you this I saw my first wild pig this really? weekend yeah so I my son got a car in Florida mm-hmm. I flew down and met him he picked me up from the airport in Fort Myer and we drove all the way back. Yeah. So we were just out of Florida into Georgia along I-95 and it's kind of open savannas to the left and the right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I noticed an egret. And I was like, oh, look, there's an egret. And then just like maybe 20 yards from the egret, I was like, is that a dog? Like I'm looking <laughs> at it, I was like, that's a wild pig. And there was yeah. nothing, like it wasn't like – it was someone's farm. It was all just yeah. open savannah. Oh yeah, I, I think they're a lot more commonly found there. But that what a, a really bad invasive species. Yeah, um, and it was just grazing along the side of the highway. Yeah, yeah, they do so much damage, and it's uh, I've I've talked a little bit about this, but it's one of the issues I've heard with them is you have they've built up such a market around. I get really about hunting them and saying, oh, look, you're helping fix the problem. 
but there is so much money that is being made on that whole concept of hunting them that then now it's like there's entire business models that have popped up about having these hunts saying, oh, look, you're helping take care of this this invasive species that there is no desire for them to go away. Yeah. Like you, they, the whole business collapses if, if the they job gets done. Yeah. And that's one of the things I like when people talk about, um, in New Jersey, we have the, uh, deer overabundance issues. And, uh, there's a lot of talk about having a commercial market for, for venison. And that's like my only, my, oh, there's two hesitations I have is, but the one is, are we just now we're now we're creating like a putting a dollar value yeah. on deer and you don't want that and to go away yeah now there's going to be yeah, there's going to be people who build business models around this and and they're not going to want the the deer to go away because and they are not going to want less deer because the more they can than kill so there's yeah. there's ways you can work around that by putting that you can't be a business to do it or you yeah. you can only do a certain amount per year but so it's a it's a tricky what we're doing with deer in New Jersey and the Mid Atlantic as a whole um, isn't really working, and the solution now is 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 difficult. Yeah. Like it's a, to, or it's expensive, and then this is a, a way that you can kind of create some more incentive to go and get it done. But I don't know. The research has shown with deer, especially, that it's not hunters. Hunters are helping, but they're not fixing the issue it's when you bring in these sharpshooters and you're doing it you're setting up bait stations and that that's where they're having like incredible efficiency in and basically eliminating populations of deer um in specific areas now when i when i worked at princeton nurseries in allentown new jersey and that you know, forgive me because i'm not a hunter and i don't remember the specifics but we had permits to eradicate deer Mm -hmm. We had 3,000 acres, so there was a lot of deer. Um, But I think as part of the permit, you had to bury the carcasses. Yeah. You had to dig a hole and bury. So they were were going through like – and really Mm -hmm. they had hunt clubs that would go through and and pick them off. Yep. And it's kind of like a weird, sad thing. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, they're they're overpopulated and they're causing a thing, but then they're just getting like a mass burial. Yeah. Yeah. and then the homeowners found out, and someone where the pit was went through and chopped down an entire block of trees and then just left a sign next to it saying deer killers. So it was causing an uproar locally. Yeah. yeah. And it was like mixed feelings. Like mm-hmm. it's – I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer to that is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a It's an incredibly tricky question. We need to have a better solution than we do, but um, yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah, and it's uh, the like I said, to to bring in sharpshooters is just it's and that's kind of what fiscally impractical. Yeah, um, on a large scale basis, and then you got to figure if it's not happening, how far out does that radius go? Because you're there is a line where (laughs) on the outside. So those shoots did not solve the problem. Yeah, at, at Princeton, yeah, I yeah. will just say without a doubt, it's not like they they maybe put a blip in the population. Yep, yep. Yeah, because it's basically it's just you have a low pressure area, and then high pressure areas all around it. It's yeah. just going to even out, yeah, and now exactly. they're all going to spill in, and 
in a year or two, you're back to where you were. Exactly. So exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I have a plant. <laughs> yeah, I got oh, us yeah. off topic. Like yeah, normal. yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, about it was pigs. me. It was me <laughs> talking about. But pigs. yeah, I was, well, it was you talking about pigs, pigs. and then I was. Yeah. I was talking about, but it was kind of interesting yeah. to see my first wild pig because it was like a spotty brown mm-hmm. like color. So I didn't know what it was. It kind of threw me for a loop. I saw it. I'm like, what is that? Could it be like it was just? Yeah, yeah. I thought you were saying that you saw one in New Jersey, which I've heard no. before, but I you don't. I don't know if it's like officially recognized that they're in New Jersey. We saw an alligator in Florida. We had to stop for it to cl- whether I don't know if it's an alligator or crocodile. I'm not well versed on that. Is it alligator? Alligators, yeah. So it, well, there's there's I have heard there's American crocodiles, but I don't know much about them. So I think the, the big the big way to tell them apart is that um, alligators will say "see you later" and crocodiles <laughs> will say "after a while," right? I think that's how you identify them. It's, I think so. I didn't get close enough. With that, we had to stop the car for it to pass. <laughs> so we saw the alligator in Florida, the wild pig in Georgia, and then we didn't see. We actually had a bird of prey fly over our car holding a fish. Yeah, and there was no water within our immediate sight. That was in, I think, North Carolina or South Carolina, and then after that, we didn't see anything. So it was all the normal south of the border <laughs> uh, advertisements. But anyway. My uh, that's hot this week is Baptisia australis, which is uh, blue wild indigo, and uh, what made me think of it was it's beautifully blooming right now in our seed fields, uh, which is such a wonderful sight to see this big mass uh, field of Baptisia all in bloom. And I got my description also from wildflower.org. rising two to four foot high from a woody base. Blue wild indigo is a bushy, robust perennial. With flowers that are blue, purple, and pea-like, congested in dense, upright terminal spikes, 4 to 16 inches long. Leaves are divided into three leaflets. In late fall, the plant turns silvery gray, sometimes breaking off at the ground level and tumbling about in the wind like a tumbleweed. Like other members of the pea family, this plant requires the presence of microorganisms that inhabit nodule on the plant's root systems and produce nitrogen compounds necessary for the plant's survival. It is a legume, three to five foot tall, three foot wide, blooms blue to purple from May through June. It's native from Pennsylvania to Indiana, south to Georgia and Tennessee. Um, it does like full sun. Uh, Amer- Amerindians. I don't know if I've ever seen that term before. Have you? Um, I'm, I wasn't reading along with you. It says use medicinal Amerindians. Hold on. I guess that's like American Indians. Yeah, that used, would be my guess. Yeah, yeah. Used root tea as emetic and purg- purgative. Uh, cold tea given to stop vomiting. Root poulticed as an anti-inflammatory. Held in mouth to treat toothaches. It is toxic. Other plant, uh, other other uses are plant juice turns purple on exposure and is a fair substitute for true indigo in making blue dye. Uh, other plants in this genus are poisonous if ingested, although no human fatalities have been recorded. Sensitivity to a toxin varies within a person's age, weight, physical condition, and individual susceptibility. Children are most vulnerable because of their curiosity and small size. Uh, the toxicity can vary in a plant according to season, the plant's different parts, and its stage of growth. Plants can absorb toxic substances such as herbicides, pesticides, and pollutants from the air, water, and soil. So two great plants. I think uh, – I, I can't believe I don't have either of them in my yard. Do you? Yeah, I have um, – well, I don't know if I have 
I have any blue-eyed grass, but uh, I do have um, uh, blue wild indigo in my garden, and it's cool on it. Like, when you have a singular one, it is a cool-looking plant. It's just on a whole other level in those seed fields. Yeah, I agree. And, um, yeah, it's it's really – it almost looks like a lavender field. Like what you'd picture a lavender field in like the south of France to look like. Is that where they grow lavender? I know it's in France. So. Is it the yeah. south of France? There's actually a place in Doylestown, PA, like the lavender farm, and it's on the side of a hill. And it's pretty interesting to drive yeah. by and see like a, a hilly field of lavender. But I would imagine it's France. Yeah, well, yeah, I know. That, well, I don't know. Maybe it's the, the west of France. Is this France too? Or where's <laughs> Is it Doylestown? No, <laughs> no, no, no. It's that's I, yeah. There's some. In, there's some in the south of France. There's some in the west of France. Just like lavender farms that I just googled real quick. Uh, so yeah, awesome. some we'll have a French listener write in. Say there you go. Let us know. No, <laughs> I want that call on the question and comment yeah. line. Just they could just be that. No. <laughs> All right, two great plants. Uh, both would be wonderful additions to your your property. Make sure you check them out. And what do you think? You want to do a little this or that? Sure. All right. So we do have a winner. Uh, last week's articles where I had an article about Florida eco communities, and Tom had an article about supporting bees. And uh, I have a win with an asterisk. I did win fourteen to five. I noticed yesterday that my wife voted. For the first time and vote it for me. And last night – I didn't bring it up and last night she was like, I, I, I saw the articles and I voted for you. And I go, yeah, I'm going to get a lot of crap for that. I didn't and, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. And, so. and she was like, why? And I go, you have no idea how much I it's true. pestered Melissa and Tom because Melissa was voting for Tom. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was calling uh, favoritism and uh, nepotism. And I'm like, and now I'm I'm guilty, yep. guilty of yep. that. And it's she, okay. But, it's not like you one by one. You, <laughs> but she very innocently said, "But I I read both articles and I liked your article better. Like I voted for the article I liked." And I'm like, I I appreciate that. Thank you so much. But uh, that article was given to us by Jennifer Cabrera, and had said she kind of left it in an email and said, "I kind of feel I know which one of you will use this." And it was me, and she she posted in the uh, Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group that she did think that I would use it. She mm-hmm. felt that was a Fran article. She also stated it was a winner, and it was it a winner. It was a winner. It was a winner. So yeah. um, I'm going to choose to go first. Okay. What do I use? You've been do? winning quite a bit lately. I, For as many times weird... as I was winning <laughs> in a row, you're, you're on a I think a I've hot won like three right of the last four, yeah. I think. Yeah. So um, – my article is a that New York. That was a bad thing to do. <laughs> We're That's... just all full. Oh, of I, kn- I knocked the mic and then I got to move this little thing. I'm going to do it again. Get it at the right spot because it'll drive me nuts the rest of the yeah. episode if I don't. That's the uh, the elastic bands on the pop filter around the microphone. Yeah, so. it's... <laughs> I don't know if this is really this could be really bad or it could just be soothing to some people. <laughs> all right. That's enough. All right. <laughs> I, I am going to go first. My article is actually from the New Yorker. So not the New York Times, so there shouldn't be a paywall. I'm, I'm thinking it's good. Uh, it is called What is a Weed? 
And it's, well, what is a weed? The names we call plants say more about us than they do about the greenery that surrounds us. This is by Rivka Galchin. Uh, and as I mentioned, it's from the New Yorker. So let me see how long mine is. Uh, we'll see how far I get before I get bored of reading. Steve Brill's first stop was the greenery behind the bike racks. Brill, who is known as Wild Man Steve, picked up a weed with heart-shaped seed pods and a small four-petaled white flower. About 30 of us were gathered for a three-hour foraging tour through Prospect Park in Brooklyn. The plant was Shepherd's Purse, a name that references the seed pods resemblance to the containers shepherds used to make from the bladders of sheep. It's in the mustard family, Brill said. Most of the flowers in the mustard family are four petals and in the shape of a cross. He encouraged everyone to take a bite and to tell them what vegetable it tasted like. Someone asked whether we should worry about pesticides. Don't worry. They don't have the money for pesticides, Brill responded. And anyhow, they're pretty good at Prospect Park. In Central Park, don't eat anything there. He was exaggerating. He's been doing foraging tours off and on in Central Park for some 40 years and was once even arrested there for eating plants after which he was brought on David Letterman's show to make a forage salad. The weed tasted like carrot, like okra, broccoli, almost precisely. Shepherd's Purse is one of the more mild species in the mustard family, Brill said, and then plucked what looked to me uh, like a dandelion but wasn't. Here's something spicier, he said. It was another member of the mustard family called Poor Man's Pepper. He drew our attention to the serrated leaves like Shepherd's Purse. Poor Man's Pepper is an invasive weed, one that came from Europe. I picked a lot of this in the Rockaways this morning, he said. He planned to make Poor Man's Potatoes. Uh, potatoes bland with lots of poor man's pepper, spicy. Uh, the common name dates back to when spices were a luxury import. Besides being tasty, spicy foods are often a preservative and often antibacterial. He walked deeper into Prospect Park in a shady spot. Brill asked everyone to pause again. There was a sweet fragrance. It was the smell of possibly jasmine, vanilla. That's the scent of the black locust tree in bloom, he stated. We, we, but we couldn't see one. Black locust is considered an invasive species in the Northeast. I'd say aggressive. It's kind of native. Uh, a big weed, uh, one might say. But it also has flowers. It tastes good in salads or mixed into pancakes. There must be one nearby, he insisted. Someone pointed to a tree with white blooms in the distance. That's a dogwood, Brill said with a mischievous smile. You can always recognize dogwood by its bark. <laughs> You're gonna use that one, aren't you? <laughs> What's what do you mean? You can recognize dogwood. Oh, oh, no, I, I thought you were about laughing that about that. No, no, I was just thinking about how how he said, "Oh, this is something with white blooms," and then someone pointed out a dogwood, and that's what he said. Yeah, I don't know. I've just with the, the smirk. Yeah, the smirk is <laughs> the what's smirk, like. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to no, pick up no, the no. dad joke there. Yeah, I didn't. I was completely overlooking it. I was like, um, "Oh, this guy was being a, a real a, kind of a jerk." <laughs> this person. Doesn't know anything about plants. <laughs> That's a dog. What are you, idiot? Yeah. What are you? <laughs> Not that white flower. This white flower. <laughs> Another weed eddied us, uh, eddied us out into history. This one is delicious and deadly, Brill explained, holding up an innocent-looking broadleaf plant called pokeweed. It's a, nat- it's a plant native to North America. Its poison is water-soluble, and it's also a tremendous source of vitamin A which was once difficult to come by in the fall and winter. It used to be serially boiled, the poison leaches out, and then used as a treatment by Native and non-Native Americans when the characteristic signs of vitamin A deficiency, such as skin irritation, infections, and night blindness, would turn up. Someone brought over a green. Oh, that's white snake root, also very poisonous, Brill said, also a native plant. 
When cows used to be sent to graze in the forest, they sometimes developed what was called milk sickness. The cows might live, but humans who drank their milk often didn't. Abraham Lincoln's mother died of milk sickness, and whole communities of settlers would move where there was an move when there was an outbreak. They know what it ca- uh, they didn't know what caused it. The 19th century physician Anna Pierce Hobbs Bixby noticed that it was seasonal, and so deduced that it must be from something the cows were eating. In Illinois, she became friends with a Shawnee medicine woman. We know her only as Pierce did by the name Aunt Shawnee. Aunt Shawnee had remained behind after her tribe was forced out west. She taught Pierce that the responsible weed was the one with the clusters of small, tender white flowers. Pierce tested the theory by feeding the flowers to a young calf, which developed symptoms of milk sickness. Do you think people believed her, Brill asked? No, of course not. They said it was fake news, and it was decades before her work was accepted. One way to think of weeds is a plant in a place where it isn't wanted. Ralph Waldo Emerson described weeds as plants whose virtues have not yet been discovered. And even the usually less exuberant Henry David Thoreau wrote, Shall I not rejoice also at the abundance of the weeds whose seeds are the granary of the birds? Weeds can also be thought of as taking up the sun and nutrients that other plants and insects, birds, and humans that rely on those plants need. Weeds can be undervalued. Weeds can be bullies. In Lives of Weeds, Opportunism, Resistance, and Folly from 2021, the scientist John Cardina charts the trajectory of certain plants like figures in a Shakespearean play as they shift from being perceived as nobodies, then as heroically medicinal or nutritious plants then as villainous weeds and maybe back and forth again a few times. Or perhaps the closer resonance is to the lives of saints with the plants sometimes coercing whole new geographies into spaces devoted to the propagation while nourishing the locals or saving the soil or ruining other crops or doing all of these things. Weeds make <laughs> weeds make for fine portraits of ambiguity, uh, Cardina told me. I try to make a distinction between plants that are invasive uh, in a natural area versus plants that show up and disturb agriculture. Lives of Weeds is organized around eight plants, dandelion, Florida beggarweed, velvet leaf, nutsedge, mare's tail, pigweed, ragweed, and foxtail. Consider the story of the velvet leaf, a remarkable, resilient plant with silky fibers. In the 19th century, velvet leaf was called American jute, and it was the hope of the maritime industry in the United States as it was used to make rope, a key element of national defense. But this, uh, but that – that hope didn't pan out. These days, the velvet leaf's exceptional ability to grow and disturb soil has made it a weed plaguing soybean crops. Velvet leaf and soybeans have evolved originally in similar ecologies in China. When the Second World War increased demand for domestic sources of oils and fats, soybeans were cultivated and velvet leaf followed. Herbicides that were developed to knock out velvet leaf led to stronger herbicide-tolerant varieties. Today, it's among the most troublesome weed in agriculture, often surviving what farmers sometimes call spray and pray. Cardina ends his chapter on velvet leaf by describing how its ancient seeds were found in a jar dating to the Neolithic period. The careful collection of the seeds suggests that it must have been a valuable crop. Uh, let me. Oh, I'm almost done. I'm going to finish. In a conversation, Cardina said a peculiar irony is that the methods we have for controlling weeds are more sophisticated and better than ever in a thousand years of agriculture, but the weeds have survived are more difficult. Cardina grew up in rural Ohio, served in the Peace Corps, received a Ph.D. in horticulture and crop science, worked for a time in the United States Department of Ag. He has witnessed many shifts in thinking about weeds. He said that once herbicide-resistant weeds began to dominate, the response was keep keep developing the technology. 
He sees weeds in agriculture as a human problem more than a weed problem. We don't have to have farms get bigger and bigger and fewer and fewer people looking at the landscape and managing the land. It's more of a social thing than a technological thing. What a weed is and which weeds play the roles of villains is ever-shifting. Cardina mentioned a species of bed straw that has recently become a problem in Canada. In North Dakota, flea beetles have been introduced because they feed on leafy spurge, which the nonprofit Weed Society – The Weed Science Society of America describes as a noxious weed that infests more than 800,000 acres of the state. When Cardina was studying foxtail, he also paid attention to farms run by the Amish. Where little to no pesticides are used, weed management is done with mechanical cultivators. Weeds are more diverse, and the crops are rotated on a four-year cycle. He isn't particularly romantic about the Amish farming practices. Instead, he's a weed scientist who sees poetry in the way that foxtails use the oscillation of oxygen concentration in the soil – is part of a mechanism that determines when to sprout. There's no moral or ethical difference among foxtails or other mixes of weeds that I'm aware of, he writes, but notes that for the Amish, weeds are a nuisance and not an existential threat. It's a strong model. The crops, the weeds, and the humans he calls fox foxtails co-evolutionary partners. So I, I think that book sounds really interesting to me. I think I'm probably going to pick up a copy of this mm-hmm. and, and read it, The Lives of Weeds, Opportunism, resistance, and folly from John Cardina. Just thought it was interesting a look at what people do consider weeds. I mean, we've we've heard it here when when we've had people that don't really contractors that need to buy native plants but don't really know native plants that come in and go, oh, you're just selling weeds. Yeah, yeah. you know, I got a bunch of weeds. I'm planting weeds. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's really interesting, just that social aspect of what people consider weeds and how this walk in Prospect Park kind of focused on both native and non-native plants. Um, what was the uh, Alexis Nicole video I was just watching? Oh, Japanese knotweed mm-hmm. saying, yeah. yeah, it's it's a really bad plant, but very satisfying to break it off and eat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, and there's a lot a lot of invasive plants that way, uh, that way too. There's um, an Instagram account I follow uh woman's name is jenna roselle and she's like a big forager uh from maine and her like catchphrase is end the war on weeds and it's like either embracing a lot of our native plants and then you know we have all this garlic mustard you should eat it (laughs) like get rid of it but eat it (laughs) while you're doing it um so yeah that's a something that's that's close to my own uh feelings on on a lot of this is um is yeah, and some of it just comes down to well, you have plants like milkweed and sneezeweed, and and that weed is in the name Joe Pie weed. So Damn. yeah, it's uh makes I, it seem like they are weeds <laughs> when, it's yeah. in, when they're named weeds. Exactly. I just thought it was an important important uh, article in a prominent publication mm-hmm. that will get more public oh, yeah. awareness yeah, for sure. uh, and, and hopefully get more people interested in what's invasive, what's mm-hmm. non-native, what is native, and what what you can do with these plants. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's amazing the growing amount of people interested in foraging and what you can eat for and sure. what they can do. So sure. um, I just thought it was a, a good way to bring attention to it. Yeah. And yeah, I'm definitely. curious to see what you have this week. Yeah, so, uh, so mine was from a, a website – I hadn't heard of before called Undark, Ooh, and um, that sounds like a dark or a non-dark, or non-dark web. web. And uh, and basically the whole, I guess, concept behind it was kind of to combat 
um, what am I trying to say? Combat contemporary, uh, or I should say, how do I want to phrase this? It was to combat scientific opinions that were then kind of taken captive by the media and then presented outside of what the science actually said. Um, So I I saw a couple of the articles and there was a lot of like um, a lot of, uh, of ecological stuff on there. Um, But mine was called uh, where the wood wide web narrative went wrong. And um, I've talked about this with, uh, with what was that? There's that Peter Wallabin book. I think it's The Secret Life of Trees. Yeah. People love the book. And it's talking about how these trees communicate with each other a lot of times through mycorrhizal associations. And um, and that's kind of what this article is about. Okay. And when I approached that book, I was like, when I read some of the reviews of it, it's like, well, it's kind of misrepresenting the science that went behind some of that communication stuff. And they're like, uh, they're making a lot of claims that aren't actually in line with what yeah. the, the science said. And I've seen article after article after article. In fact, after I saw this article, I think like uh, two articles down on the list I was looking at was saying the opposite and how mushrooms um, will use these mycorrhizal networks to like talk to each other and can like communicate up to 50 words. Wow. I'm like, well, that's... That's, Not exactly yeah. the same thing. So it's like you have a lot of it's 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 sexy, it's marketable. Oh, I can put this out to the uh in mainstream media and maybe that's not exactly what's uh what's proven scientifically as of yet. So uh it's always I this is a little bit longer than I usually do, but I'm I figured it's uh, I couldn't find any parts to chip out no, do and it. not read. So I'll read uh, most of the whole thing and then then give some more of my feelings. Awesome. So over the past few years, a fascinating narrative about forests and fungi has captured the public imagination. It holds that the roots of neighboring trees, uh, yeah, that the roots of neighboring trees can be connected by fungal filaments forming massive underground networks that can span entire forests, a so-called wood wide web. Through this web, the story goes, trees share carbon, water, and other nutrients, and even send chemical warnings of danger such as insect attacks. Uh, the narrative, recounted in books, podcasts, TV series, documentaries. Oh, we're one of those podcasts now. <laughs> we are. Um, wow. And news articles has prompted some experts to rethink not only forest management, but the relationships between self-interest and altruism in human society. But is any of it true? Uh, the three of us, this is, a, an, again, an opinion piece uh, co-written by three different uh, scientists. So the three of us have studied forest fungi of our, uh, for our whole careers, and even we were surprised by some of the more extraordinary claims surfacing in the media about the wood wide web. Thinking we had missed something, we thoroughly reviewed 26 field studies, including several of our own, that looked at the role of fungal networks play or the role fungal networks play in the resource transfer in forests. What we found shows how easily confirmation bias, unchecked claims, and incredulous news reporting can over time distort research findings beyond recognition. It should serve as a cautionary tale for scientists and journalists alike. First, let's be clear: fungi do grow inside and on tree roots, forming a symbiosis called micro or called a mycorrhiza or fungus root. Uh, mycorrhiza are essentially for the normal growth of trees or essential for the normal growth of trees. Among other things, the fungi can take up from the soil and transfer to the tree nutrients that roots could not otherwise access. In return, fungi receive uh, from the roots sugars they need to grow. As fungal filaments spread out through the rest of the forest soil, they will often at least temporarily physically con- uh, connect the roots of two neighboring trees. The resulting system of interconnected tree roots is co- uh, called a common mycorrhizal network or CMN, 
When people speak of the Wood Wide Web, they're generally referring to CMNs, but there's very little that scientists can say with certainty about how and what to what extent trees interact via CMNs. Unfortunately, that hasn't prevented the emergence of wildly speculative claims, often with little or no experimental evidence to back them up. They're, they are now saying the movie Avatar was accurate. No, oh. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I've, I've, never, I've never seen Avatar. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah. You have so, to watch it now. To, yeah. To, so one common assertion is that seedlings benefit from being connected to mature trees via CMNs. However, the, across the 28 experiments that directly tackled that question, the answer varied depending on the tree species and on uh, when, where, and in what type of soil the seedling is planted. In other words, there's no consensus. Allowed to force, form CMNs with larger trees, some seedlings need, seem to perform better, others worse, and still others seem to behave no differently at all. Field, experiment, ex- field experiments designed to allow the roots of trees to find and seedlings to intermingle, as they would in natural forest conditions, cast still more doubt on the seedling hypothesis. Only, only in only eighteen percent. I am stumbling my way through this. I was doing the same. In only eighteen percent of those studies, were the positive effects of CMN strong enough to overcome the negative effects of root interactions? To say that seedlings generally grow or survive better when connected to CMNs is to make a generalization that simply isn't supported by the published research. Other widely reported claims that trees use CMNs to signal danger, to recognize offspring, or to share nutrients with other trees are based on similarly thin or misinterpreted evidence. How did such a weekly source narrative take such a strong grip on the public imagination? We scientists shoulder some of the blame. We're human. Years ago, when the early experiments were being done on forest fungi, some of us, the authors of this essay included, simply got caught up in the excitement of the new idea. One of us was involved in the field Majors, or the first major field study on CMNs published more than 25 years ago. That study found evidence of net carbon transfer between seedlings of two different species, and it posted, uh, pos- excuse me, posited that the most of the carbon was transported through CMNs while downplaying the other possible explanations. This is what's known as confirmation bias, and it's an easy trap to fall into. As hard as it is to admit, it was only due to our skepticism on the recent extraordinary claims that about the Wood Wide Web that we looked back and saw the bias in our own work. Over decades, these and other dis, uh, distortions have propagated into the academic li- uh, literature on CMNs, steering the scientific discourse further and further away from reality, similar to a game of telephone. In our review, we found that the results of older, influential field studies of CMNs have been increasingly rep- misrepresented by the newspapers that cite them. Among peer-reviewed papers published in 2022, fewer than half the statements made about the original field studies could be considered accurate. A 2009 study that used genetic techniques to map the distribution of mycorrhizal fungi, for instance, is now frequently cited as evidence that trees transfer nutrients to one another through CMNs, even though that study did not actually investigate nutrient transfer. In addition, alternative hypotheses provided by the original authors were typically not mentioned in the newer studies. As these biases could spill over in the media, the narrative has caught fire, and no wonder if scientists themselves could be seduced by potentially sensational findings, it is no surprising, or is not surprising that the media could too. Journalists told emotional, persuasive, and seductive stories about the World Wide Web, amplifying the speculations of a few scientists uh, through powerful storytelling. Writers imbued uh, uh, trees with human qualities, portraying them as uh, conscious actors using fungi to serve their needs. Fantasy moved to uh, move to the foreground, facts to the back. In an odd kind of mutual reinforcement, the media blitz may have convinced experts in other subfields of ecology that the claims about CMNs were well-founded. The episode underscores 
how important it is for journalists to seek out a broad range of expert opinions and to challenge us scientists when our assertions aren't clearly backed by rigorous research. By directly asking scientists uh, questions such as what other phenomena could explain your results and how many other studies support this hypothesis, journalists would be able to better understand and convey some of this uncertainty around uh, scientific uh, conclusions. The best science writing can capture the hearts and minds of the public, but it must be true to the evidence and the scientific process. If not, the consequences can be far-reaching, affecting policy decisions that impact real people. There are many captivating, scientifically well-grounded stories that we can tell about fungi and forests, and we should. Mycorrhizal fungi underlie many of our favorite edible mushrooms, including truffles, chanterelles, and porcinis, and some herbs in the understory forest. Rather than photosynthesizing sugars like a normal plant, use CMNs to connect the trees and steal their sugars. Forests are fascinating places, marked by a rich diversity of interactions between plant, animals, and microbes. The stories are endless. We just have to tell them with care. And that's... Uh, I really like that article. Yeah. That's it's, a great article. It's And I'm always hesitant to pull articles from places where I don't know the source, or it's like a, a new source, or not something that's um, recognized as a... a, a good outlet so i did like a very brief look into the that undark um website and i thought this the perspective was good enough to share Um, oh i agree 100 percent. because uh it's just and in a way it's confirmation bias of my own because that's when i would read this stuff i'm like this is really hard to believe that you have trees with humanistic qualities um it's just i feel like there would be more to this if it was actually true and then when i dug into that again that peter Walden book with this is a, a major port, port a portion of it is this whole concept um that was a lot of the the backlash against his book was hey, he's taken research and completely writing it's what well, he is he's sensationalizing is, yeah he's it. sensationalizing yeah. it and and Making it something that is not what the research actually says. And one one thing we've talked about on the podcast before is science is science and science is factual, but the the interpretation of that science is where it becomes yeah. opinion. And you can take any piece of factual yeah. scientific study and try to mold it to whatever your cause or your story is. Yeah. And that's where it gets tricky. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know how. I, I guess that's a problem in all all forms of science. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. Yeah. Unless. Oh yeah. It's yeah. um. It's there's another quote, and I'm that I'm going to screw up here, but I think it's like the science is is the science is facts until the science changes. Yeah. <laughs> because the science is just constantly changing. That's You're true. Constantly learning something new. Um, and it's it, there was we had a a lab study done with some plants that we couldn't figure out what happened to them, and it got sent out and and. Um, I looked at the, the sheets and then our IPM specialist looked at the sheets and, uh, they said, oh yeah, this was, was, uh, this problem. Yeah. And I looked at it with my perspective and said, oh, how I read what they're saying. I think it's, it was frost damage. I don't think it was actually what what you think yeah. it is. We're reading the same results. Yeah. Um, from, from these things. And, but my background was I went to a couple other nurseries and asked them, Hey, have you, and sent some people pictures that, Hey, have you seen this before? And they said, yeah, when I've seen it, it's been frost damage. And, and he's looking at it saying, Hey, we've had herbicide injury on some other stuff here. And this also looks like herbicide injury. And then these two reports say it could be herbicide injury. I think it's herbicide injury. And, um, so we're just, it, honestly, it could be Very, either for yeah. the plant. It doesn't really matter. The good news is it wasn't a, a 
fungus <laughs> in, or a bad fungus yeah. that killed it. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, we're looking at the same results and seeing and the same samples and have different opinions on what happened. And that's commonplace. Yeah. Um, but it's important to not, it's, it's good to speculate. It's not good to just like project. Throw, keep yeah. throwing out yeah. speculation as as proven fact. Um, and we try and do that here when we don't know something for sure. Like I think I did early in this episode. I'm like, oh, with the lavender yeah. thing. Yeah. I'm like, I said, oh, in the south of France. I'm like, I don't really know. And if that if they yeah. grow lavender in the south of France, <laughs> I should probably look that up before I start yeah. saying that. Even though it's such a little throwaway line, and that's another thing we talked about with uh, with, with Casey, Casey Clapp. He's like, yeah, I would say I would say stuff, and then I'm like, I don't know if that's actually true. It's just what <laughs> I, I've always heard and knew, but is it actually true? Yeah. Um, Make sure yeah. you tune in that week next week for that yeah, episode because I think you'll really. That's actually probably the non non rooted discussion, probably the longest oh, podcast yeah. conversation yeah. that we've had that can conti- that spilled over afterwards as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's – I don't know. This The article when I found it was just like, oh, this is what I thought about this. So I was using his confirmation bias for myself. And But and, but even the authors say we've done it in our own work and published scientific studies where we've glossed over mm-hmm. uh, what other possible findings could be based on focusing on the things that we believe to be mm-hmm. true from that. It's 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 hard. You're, science is science, but then you're putting a human element in it. <laughs> Yeah, that is going to that is going to be skewed based on person or opinion, mm-hmm. which is which is difficult. So I I I love that that's an opinion piece from scientists in the field, even discussing yeah. their own work, saying we could see how. Oh, it's uh, I'm so I'm clicking one of the and there's links to a lot of their okay. when they make a claim. Um, like the, what I just clicked was uh how uh. Basically, this that the trees can send chemical warnings and all that um, has the narrative has been recounted in books, podcasts, TV series, and documentaries. I just clicked that link. Um, so there's links for all this okay. stuff when they make gotcha. a claim. I just click that link, say, "Oh, I wonder if our podcast is actually listed." And it's a 183 page study. Wow! <laughs> and, but some of the books that have been in there, uh, it's a fairly recent study too, because I'm seeing was uh, Elder Flora. Uh, which came out in 2022. The Overstory, which I talked about right here, um, was 2018. The Language of the Plant Kingdom, 2020. Entangled Life is a, another 2020 book. Finding the Mother Tree, which is one I've heard was really good. I got a, That's a future yeah. where I read a book when I can get my hands on it, um, which is a 2022 book. Uh, then The Hidden Life of Trees is another one on there. Let's see if our, our podcast was on there. Now, Radiolab, Infinite Monkey Cage. Fresh air. Any Bigfoot ones? Uh, <laughs> not yet. Emergence Magazine. A lot of them were through that All finding the right. right. things yeah. about finding the mother tree when uh, when that came on. So, um, yeah. Great so article. it's uh, it's just something to keep in mind when you read stuff. It's I I wish it was so easy that we could just like assume it's true. Yeah. I wish people listening to this could just assume everything we said was true, but. Yeah, I don't know. That's Sometimes a good idea. Can. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but two great articles. Uh, we will have the vote posted in the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group on Monday. So make sure you go there and vote because. And of course, the choice is yours. 
Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am thinking listener shoutouts. Yes. All right. Listener, listener, shout out, shout out, shout out, shout out. So I will go first. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Pat Vogler, who is with the Cranford Environmental Commission, who I spoke to recently. And uh, we've been emailing and she kind of threw in there. We're, we're, they're a customer of ours that, that she listens to the podcast and, and just said some really nice things. And she also voted for my article. So that always, that always helps yeah. a little bit too. Yeah. So I wanted to thank you, Pat, for, for being a customer and also listening to the podcast and, and sharing with us that you're a listener. Yeah, awesome. And then, uh, we actually had, we have, I have one five star review listed here. I think we had two. The other the one other was, was an update. It was maybe? an update because you gave them the shout out. On the last buzz, but it was a four star, and they updated to oh, say, okay. "Oh, That's I why. actually yeah. messed up. I meant to do five stars, <laughs> <laughs> and and I updated to reflect five stars." All right. Oh yeah, all the states stay the same color. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks, Gary yeah. Patches, for, for <laughs> updating that. Um, and then our new one is uh, is from uh, Thomas T from Houston, and. Um, and they're an ecologically focused designer, and they found, find our podcast super valuable uh, because we kind of bring bridge that world of of the native plant business and then native plant like consumerism and ecology and all that. So, um, no, that's what we're trying to do. That's the goal. Yeah. Sometimes I don't know if we do it as well as we'd like to do it. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. It's it's difficult sometimes, but it's uh, we keep working, we keep trying. So. We have no questions this week. Oh, thank you to, to both Pat and Thomas T. We, we appreciate that. Uh, no questions this week, but we do have a Grow, Read a Book. Grow, Read a Book. I like books. I love that intro. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's, it's almost there's there's buzzes where I'm like, oh, I wish you had a Grow, Read a Book so I could play the intro. Yeah, that's that's probably the the best intro we have. Yeah. That and the Tom's Petty one are my favorite. <laughs> Maybe it's because they're the, my two. But um, – but, uh, I'm very curious about this book. I want to see it. It's been a while since you've had one. I want to see. What's, what do you what I know. I got to save it for a secret. My wife just uh, texted me something. Okay. And I actually saw this the other day, and I forgot to bring it up to her. Um, well, that's good. So I, don't have, I, I, I shared my secret of seeing my first wild pig. So, yeah, yeah. so that's good so, we have something. Yeah, so I recently listened to a book by uh, Kirk W. Johnson called The Feather Thief. I think it came out in like 2017, 2018. Okay. It's uh, again. This is like a native plant ecology adjacent thing. Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to do with habitat or, or plants at all, really. But uh, but it does have to do with Charles Darwin. Oh, okay. So, and right. um, and basically, it, it starts out kind of talking about like the history of some of these bird collections, like in the Victorian era. Gotcha. Uh, of, of collecting with Charles Darwin. And then Wallace was um, someone else that they brought up who was like an amateur, uh, amateur ecologist and kind of had like the same, found the same things as Charles Darwin before Darwin wrote, what, what was it called? I'm trying to why, think of what why, it was. Story. I, there's a, word, a name for it. Why am I drawing a blank? Um, and I've read it. And I can't think of what oh, it is gosh. now. 
that he had uh, what the heck's it called? The Origin of Species. Yes, I for some and, reason I've drawn a. I I've read the book and I couldn't think of. As soon as you started, I was sitting here thinking I can't remember what the name of the book is, and then you asked me. And then this guy Wallace kind of came up with like the same thing as an amateur wrote to Charles Darwin said, Hey, I think this is happening. And if you are seeing the same, like if you see the same things, I'd love to find out that I'm just on the right path. Yeah. And, um, and I think they kind of feuded a little bit because Charles Darwin's like, how's this amateur going to upstage me? Yeah. It's, it's part of the book. Yeah. But, um, anyway, they talk about some of these, like that Victoria area collecting, where they'd actually like live, it was a very delicate process where they would like live skin these birds. Oh. Or no, I shouldn't say live skin. They would oh. whole skin oh. the birds. Oh. The birds All were right. dead. All <laughs> right. They, they didn't do it live. <laughs> I don't know oh, why it hurt. came out that way. <laughs> <laughs> but they would skin the birds with the, so skin and feathers intact so they could preserve the skin and feathers and then transport them back to, uh, to England for more research. Okay. And uh, and the, the thousands and thousands of, of bird skins they'd get from wow. all these different species and and all that, and um, so that's fascinating in its own right. Is just hearing the history of how these collections were made. Then it talks about kind of more modern day how all these collections were are where they're kind of kept, mm-hmm. and then um, then it gets into uh, also I guess around that age you had this Victoria era fly tying. Where some of like the overstock for fly fishing, yeah, okay, but it wasn't actually like it was more, it was more like a, a status symbol. All right, it was like if fly fishing got really popular around that time too, and um, they were like, you could tie flies with whatever to yeah. to match the hatch is what they yeah. say. So you want something that looks like the bugs that are hatching at that time, but if you were using like these more like really rare feathers or or objects to use in your flies it was like a status thing gotcha. and it was like there's whole books that were saying oh yeah if you aren't using this kind of like the feather from the bird of paradise you're doing it wrong and like you're poor and you're you're a, a disgrace to the fly fishing what, community what what would be like <laughs> right? the, the today's version of that would it be like feathers being sold for buttons for crocs yeah, <laughs> like if you had the most notable feathers and your Crocs, you would, that's your <laughs> yeah, status yeah. symbol. The, but and at, Crocs the, at the same time, it was also these feathers were really big, and like and again, almost whole skins were really wow. big in the like Victorian hat scene. So I could see that it was like it was again, it was a status symbol. If you had like a whole kind of like a whole bird like sewn onto your hat it was like a big deal like that meant you were you were like a duke or a duchess or, or famous or so something. if you had like a peacock hat like that i would imagine yeah. i wonder if anyone went that route i'm sure somebody did and they're called yeah. the mummers <laughs> if you're not that's from a, philadelphia yeah, say, that's gonna that fall up. flat on a lot of folks um so anyway, these feathers, like all around time, like all this stuff, and having more, if you had a hat, it was, you were more special if you had a more rare bird feathers on it or bird skins on it. Gotcha. Um, anyway, these collections, things faded out over time. That's, this is actually poor. I forgot to write in my notes. This is why a lot of the Audubon societies started, even in really? the U.S., because they were like, we can't go around like killing all these birds just so you can put them on a hat. Yeah. 
yeah. or like that's crazy. Um, it became such a status symbol that like birds were being threatened with extinction wow. because you had all this poaching going on. How did I forget to add that to my notes? That was why I wanted to wow. talk about it. So like the first Audubon societies, which I think are in Massachusetts in the U.S., yeah. started because of this this fad uh, fashion trend. Um. Anyway, then then it becomes like a crime novel after this, uh, or or crime docu. What do you call a documentary? That's a book. This is like a very millennial thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> a documentary that's a book? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, like a true story yeah. of what happened. It's like about a, a crime. That a, like a nonfiction. It, just, yeah, I guess it would just be a nonfiction. Yeah. Um anyway, I'm that's gonna, when it becomes I'm gonna uh, look it up to see what the term would be. Let's see. Yeah, you can look that up while I keep talking about it. Anyway, it becomes a tri- a crime story about how the collection that had some Darwin examples and some of those Wallace examples, like a lot of the Wallace examples, were purchased by like this really rich guy um, who's a Rothschild of all things. So if you're if you're in the conspiracy theory thing, you can go. That's tied into all this too. Um, so yeah, so you have he collected all these uh, these bird skins. It says that. A documentary book form is just nonfiction. Okay, yeah, so. yeah. A nonfiction book, also known as a book documentary. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Oh my god. Um, anyway, this so, one's this one's for the books. This episode oh, is yeah, becoming yeah. one of my favorites. Favorites very quickly. So he collected uh, this Rothschild guy collected all these these like skins and then donated them to a museum. I think called the Thring, and then years, many years later, maybe even decades later, many, many of them are stolen, and they don't know when. There was a random occurrence where there was a broken window, and then, yeah, so there was a, a random story where there's a broken window, and, um, and then, uh, then what happened next? Oh yeah, and then they like later they're going through some drawers to, like show some people like some of these bird skins and they're gone. They're just not there. Really? That's, so um, so someone poached so someone from the collection. All. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I, I don't want to ruin. It's you can look all this up. It's nonfiction. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this is a true story. You probably already you may have even heard of it already. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't. So it's like yeah. if you're into nature and ecology a little bit and then uh history and then clearly crime um it was a really cool book because it talks about how like how the world of fly tying um there's like a whole black market today for these things for fly tying and people would go to like um estate sales and buy old like victorian era hats because for hope that the feathers would be on them and the person selling them didn't know what they had wow and um but like I'm talking like a single feather goes for like ninety bucks. Wow. And uh and then you have a whole bird of those feathers. But there's some birds where it's like only the breast feathers were like orange and that's yeah. what was valuable. And the rest of the bird was black and they didn't care. So it's like they when they got some of these skins back, like the whole breast was plucked out and then the rest of the skin was Yeah. Wow. I you know, as someone that has an infinity for for taking photos of birds. 
like I never once ever thought about collecting – like never thought about once owning a bird or collecting feathers or having – like I'm just happy seeing what comes to my backyard and take pictures of it that way. Like I, I, I find – a mm-hmm. lot of joy in that, and this is like a whole nother dark level. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was a. Uh, it was just a really. It was just a fascinating book. It wasn't very long, so it was an easy. I li- again listened to it, so it was an easy listen. He has another book called um, "Fisherman and the Dragon," which, okay. uh, I'll, if depending on the amount of time, I'll I'll all right talk about it another time. But it was uh maybe your drive up to Maine. You'll have. Well, I already listened to it. Oh, oh I okay. already listened to it. I might talk about it on here. All right. But, um, yeah, that's about racism, the Ku Klux Klan, uh, Vietnamese refu- refugees. Oh, interesting. Shrimp, shrimping. Really? And environmental hazards, which is uh, how it fits into here. <laughs> so. uh, that's a, you know yeah. what? That I should say like toxic, toxic waste is right. the environmental hazard. This, so, this yeah. book sounds right up my alley. Yeah, I'll no, it was, it, again, out. it was an easy – it's probably an easy read. It was really easy to listen to. What's, um, what's relatively short. What's funny is the take it or leaf it that I have today I actually that, ties yeah. in. Did you do that on purpose? No, or just uh, no I was going to do this book, and then I saw you had that in there. All too. right. If you haven't looked, I want you to click the link. I, I put the link in for you so you could look at the product. So for my take it or leaf it, this popped up as an advertisement in my social media. And because I clicked on the link, now it shows up in every social media yes, uh, yeah, that yeah. I open. So now I'm going to get it too. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a Kickstarter uh, product. Um, that is being funded currently, and it's a game, and it's called Botany, a Victorian Adventure, and the tagline is experience the thrill of the hunt in botany, the ultimate Victorian flower collecting game for one to five botanists. <laughs> so it's basically what you described about the feathers but in mm-hmm. plant collections, and it kind of ties into your um, this or that from two buzzes ago about wild plant collecting. Yeah. We talked about that. Yeah. So it's kind of like sensationalizing <laughs> plant collecting. Rare plant it's collecting. A, yeah, a real thing that happened. And um and something that I think is we're still seeing the impacts on the world today. Like you look at like the whole um one of the the interesting examples of this era yeah. to me is the whole tea trade. Like yeah. tea was really reserved it was a thing in in China, and I think China somehow tried to stop the British from taking their tea plants, but then the British went in, like, disguised as Chinese yeah. people and, like, basically stole tea plants, brought them out of the country, brought them into India where they had another colony yeah. set up yeah. so they could start growing tea there. And the tea wasn't as good, but they were able to get it because the British just got obsessed with tea. Um it's- it's just like, oh, we want to collect this. We'll take yeah. it. There, but there's so many. Like, there's any another means guy, I can't remember his name, who was just notorious for being like a plant poacher in China. And he was a British guy. And he was just there. And like, again, disguise himself and like, just like would travel the Chinese countryside just steal, stealing plants. <laughs> uh, I think, and it's, and it's in a different, different respect. But it made me think of the introduction of the starling. To yeah. the United States because yeah. it was a gentleman that wanted every bird that was represented in every Shakespeare mm-hmm. writing in the U.S. and brought the starling over as part of a collection yeah. that way so that they would be here in the U.S. and it just yeah. took over. Going back to tea, how could I leave this part out? That's how 
the the whole opium epidemic started. Yeah. It was because they were just saying, hey, we're going to get you so high that you don't care that we're taking all your tea. Yeah. Yeah. That it's- was a lot. That was, that's why there's opium dens because the British like knew that this was going to have those kind of issues and, and ravage the population and make them drug addicts in a sense. And um, yeah, no, it's it's crazy what these these British people did. And this is a perfect tie-in too, especially for next week. If you haven't listened to it, listen to the the redux of completely arbitrary on Don Redwood and how the Don Redwood was brought to the United States. And there was actually someone that brought seedlings in, and it was right after World War II, I believe. Like the plant was discovered. It was a paleobotanist that discovered and realized someone realized, hey, this plant's actually living right now. And they were trying to get the plants through customs, and they're like, you can't bring live plants through customs. And the guy was complaining that they were millions of years old, and someone walked – the urban legend is someone walked by and went, well, if they're that old, then it's an antique. It's not a plant, and the customs let them bring the Dawn Redwoods over. Mm-hmm. So it was just – I don't know. This whole thing of plant collecting, I know it's a game. I know it's for fun, yeah. but it's like – I'm just to, um, to yeah. me. To me, I know this is extreme. It's like it's like having a game. We're we're funding a Kickstarter game called Sex Trafficking. <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> that might that might cross the line. Uh... I know it's different, but like it's it's just, and I know, like you said, this is something that really happened. But I I'm leafing this one. I I will not be funding this project. I'm not a fan. Friend, I don't think they need your money seeing they had a $5,000 goal and they're already over a million dollars. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's crazy. Honestly, the game looks really interesting from a historical standpoint. I'm, I bet it would be a ton of fun. Um, and just looking at some of the cards they have in here, they have a disguise card. <laughs> so so I, that was that is something you can take to the bank. Yeah, I'm being yeah. completely – even though I'm saying it off of memory, they would go and disguise themselves as like different people – so they could steal plants in this whole era. That's a real, real all right, thing. What, all right. Listen, I am going to make a proposition. I'm going to tell you, friend. I kind of want this game. I was going to say. It looks pretty cool. I say we buy the game, and then it's an episode of the podcast. Yeah. So we can invite three more people to play. You want to? All right. Let's do two colleagues and one listener. Maybe we can have that, a contest yeah, where a listener a, can come play. Botany of Victorian Adventure with us. Is the game even out yet? It says no, it's delivering, still being funded. Yeah, March 2024. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll prep in the future. And but, there's only 22 left out of 6,000. So if we want it, we better buy it. All now. right, maybe we should buy Please. it. Um, well, I'm leafing it, but I guess we're putting money towards it. But just for the sake of the podcast, I say we buy it. We invite, yeah, we might have to. We invite two former guests and one listener. I wonder if they have an play. Opium Den card. In this game, that's I like looking at other stuff. They they might. It's like being a diplomat and and bribing people and, and like like bribing the ship's captain, having a pack mule. The like, oh, Q Gardens is on here. They have a card for Q Gardens. I can't read some of the names of these people. Oh, there's a, a Northcut. I remember that name, Thorsten. Yeah, there's uh, yeah. This is it's honestly it's it looks pretty interesting. More from a historical thing because it a is something thing. that really happened. But, but it's I yeah. just wonder it it funded a million dollars. How many people is this going to send the wrong message to? 
But I guess you could say the same thing about like, oh, you shouldn't let your kids watch the Three Stooges. They're going to go around poking eyeballs out. I don't know that someone's necessarily going yeah. to go um, do like all of a sudden now start collecting rare plants or doing that. I just don't know that I like the I, – I, is it any different than a murder mystery game I guess? Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I'm being too overly harsh about yeah, it. Yeah, it might just – it might just raise awareness that this is something that actually yeah, happened, and it's bad. Um, yeah, and that hopefully. was, yeah, that like how open people's eyes to how crazy a period that is. Going back to my grow reader book, it's um that's one of the things. Like even when they were setting a value on the price yeah. of the like the stolen bird skins, it was like, well, what is their? They're just sitting there, one, yeah. and then so what is their actual value, and is it? Because there is a value to the actual skin itself, yeah. but does that align with like the historical value? Is is it more valuable because of the historical because it Darwin and Wallace yeah. and, and those kind of people, or is it more valuable because of it, what it actually is? And are we withholding that value by just keeping it in a drawer where no one's going to see it? Yeah, my brain's going in a hole there because I started thinking about like it's weird that there's a value of that. Oh yeah, and then I'm like, well, I guess technically there would be a value on a human liver. Or a human kidney, like if someone yeah. needed needed a transplant, like I, I've I've heard enough uh, urban legend stories about people waking up in bathtubs and ice, <laughs> missing a kidney, that you would think that there's got to be some truth. Like there's a value on anything, I guess, depending on how bad you want it. Yeah, I just no, went I in so. a really dark place with that. So, friend, are we Sorry. getting the the? Uh, we don't need four games. I was looking at the no, top level. No, we only level, need one game. But you, we can get the one with all the expansion packs and special commemorative coins. <laughs> or, I, I want or, the expansion packs, but not the yeah. coins. Yeah, I don't know if you can do that. All right. I, I want the expansion oh, packs. Oh, maybe, maybe you can. All right. All right. All right, so I, I say we make this. <laughs> Your whole thing is, oh, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're not. I'm game, leafing this it. This game's trash. I can't believe they're doing we're, this. We're, we're leaving gonna, this. We're Add to cart. Pay $100 for this game because we're getting everything. Absolutely not. <laughs> Add to cart. Check out. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, please. So we're going to play this in the future. We will have at least one listener come in and play with us. We will have to get one more mic, though. Because we have four mics yeah. in our system. We can hook up – I think I can hook up one more microphone usually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I think I can in a different manner. I can hook up one more mic. Mm-hmm. So we'll yep. do that, and this will be a future a future episode in 2024. Yeah. So I like Sometime it. after March, uh, depending on how their Kickstarter goes oh. and if it actually is – it won't be time. March. I've done enough yeah. Kickstarters that it will probably be fall of 2024 before it shows up. They have the million dollars, but now they have to figure out, now we have a million dollars. What else do we want to – Yeah. now we can do even a bigger project. I can't Let's believe that it. they were looking for five grand and then – They got a million. Got a million. When did this even start? I don't know. I had oh, no idea. Uh, last update was on Monday. I uh, had no idea that, that this conversation would <laughs> – would go in that direction. You never know with us. You never know what's going to happen. So, all right. I think that that about wraps us up. 
What do you think? Yeah, we can go on for another 10 minutes. You want to do no, another 10? <laughs> so, no, that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. RJ Comer, thank you for our theme music. We love it, and it wouldn't be the buzz without it. Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music wherever you consume your music. Definitely check out his Americana playlist on Pandora. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery. Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, or at Pinelands Nursery. And also check out our videos at YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, don't forget about the question and comment line. Uh, if you want to tell us about where lavender comes from, you can call us at 215 346 6189. I will repeat that 215 346 6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. We will do our best to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And thank you to everyone who has joined our Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group and for being a part of our community. We really appreciate it. Yeah, so you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. There's a link at the top, and that's where you can find our whole merch store and get phone cases, aprons, T-shirts, long sleeves, sweatshirts, all kinds of stuff. Um you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet at our website or probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, if you it's at all possible and you haven't yet, um, leave a five-star review. And uh, if you do a little write-up with that, then that goes a long, long way. And I'll actually give you a shout-out on, on our Buzz episodes like I did earlier today. And uh, even if you've left a five-star review already and you just want to kind of Throw some more words of affirmation out there for us. We appreciate that, too. Uh, we do get updates occasionally, yeah. and I appreciate that. Yeah, so that. Um, with that, I guess I have my secret, which, uh, mm-hmm. Fran, it's a, it is a, it's a visual secret. All right. What do you have? Um, now, you didn't know me when I was a little kid. No, you were – by I was the time I school. started here, you were in high school, yeah. But did you ever see pictures of me when I was a little kid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to look at this. <laughs> All right. Now, who who do you think that is? Do you do you recognize that picture? I do recognize that picture, and I'm trying to think of. It's it's from a movie. I, yeah, um, I know. In fact, what is I'm that showing for the Fablemans. Who are the Fablemans? Oh, that's that's a Steven Spielberg movie. Uh, yeah, I is... don't think so. All right, um, that I would know, be. Wait, I know that. I know this picture, and I can't think of what it's from. All right, tell me. That would be. Um, I do, I honestly I don't even know what the character who what the character's name is. I gotta stand up to do this, don't I? Uh, that would be uh, a character from the movie Halloween Town, <laughs> which came out in like 1998. I don't even know. My son is like obsessed with Halloween, obsessed with yeah. Halloween, and um, and yeah, so he's been. Somehow he started watching that because obviously it has something to do with Halloween. And uh, then my wife just sat down. I, I happened to see this the other day. I'm like, oh, crap, that looks like me when I was a kid. And my wife just sent me a picture while we were recording saying, I didn't know you were a star in this movie. <laughs> that does <laughs> because, look pretty accurate. That's that. me, a picture of me yeah, when I was a kid. That is crazy like, so how close that the, is. The Facebook group. I'll find a better picture. of That's like a distorted one of me when I was a kid. But that's a good picture but, as far as looks go. I'm just yeah. looking. Is this the – I think the actor's name is Dylan Piper. Yeah, he Dylan played. Piper was the 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 character, 
and Joey Zimmerman oh, was Joey the actor. Oh, Joey Zimmerman. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure I watched the movie when I was a kid, but I don't remember it. It was a really TV movie. TV movie from Disney, I think. Came out in 1998, rated G, and it runs for an hour and 24 minutes. So there you go. If you have Disney Disney Plus, that's where he's watching it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, go and check it out. Wow, that is pretty close. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a good secret. I'm glad you I'm glad you shared. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll you have, have, have to, to put make up sure that, you put it up on that the, picture. All right. Yeah, all right, he's awesome. uh, yeah, it's <laughs> the more you the more you know. <laughs> Uh, awesome all right well thank you everyone i'm tom and i am fran thanks again everyone coming up next week we have alex and casey from completely arbitrary and and hopefully we didn't already tell you the whole episode and uh today by going back to some of the stuff we talked about so make sure you tune in it's almost two hours long so it's a nice long one uh so we'll see you again next time and until then keep it native Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.